Welcome to Jamie's Corner Podcast. This is a show where we talk about veganism, spirituality, animal rights, friends, family, struggles. I don't know. I kind of use this as my own therapy session, you know, just talking things through, really. So let's have some fun. I interview a lot of different activists, yogis, nutritionists. We got some doctors on here, veterinarians. You name it, just a lot of really great people. So thanks for joining me. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Part of me feels like it's worse to be a vegan who's not active than to be a meat eater because the meat eaters don't know how bad the situation is. They don't know what's going on. They're like basically blind to it. Whereas the vegans know. So if you have this knowledge, and you're not actively trying to get people to stop torturing animals, you're limiting yourself. And there's so many things people can do. If you're an introvert, like a lot of people don't wanna talk to people. That's perfect. Do behind the scenes stuff. You could learn to edit videos. You can work with the Humane League, Mercy for Animals. There's so many organizations you can join. So don't put yourself into this box and think like, oh, this is what people are doing on YouTube. That's what activism looks like. It's really not. The Some of the most effective activism, I think takes place behind the scenes and at legislative levels. And we're on. We are live here with Natalie Fulton, the juggling vegan, well previously known as that. Now she's just Natalie Fulton and I freaking love it. Thank you for joining us today on Jamie's Corner, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, love the podcast and all the, the work that you do. So yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here. Thank you. And I love everything that you're up to. And for those people that don't know you, Natalie, you are a YouTuber, you are an animal rights activist, you're based in New Orleans. Why don't you just give us a little intro of what you're up to these days? Totally. So yeah, as you said, I'm mostly a YouTuber. So most of my activism right now is filming street outreach on the streets of New Orleans and putting it up on YouTube. So I have a few different methods. I do this. A big one is that I give away free beer to people in exchange for talking to me, which I love because, you know, it kind of makes vegans seem more generous and more fun. And another thing I like to do is just talk about kind of the power dynamics, the ways that humans use power over other animals. And I think that really connects with people. So I'm getting more into that. I'm also working on doing more speaking. So if you, you know, want me to speak at a college or university, that's definitely on my radar. So yeah, just kind of hitting the vegan scene hard and um, hoping to make real change for animals. I love it. I think the street interview stuff is so fun and I'm feeling an episode of a double hosted show with Jamie's Corner and Natalie Fulton. Yes. I think we could totally co-host something. That would be so amazing. <laughs> yeah. New Orleans. Yes, yes. I would love that. So today we're going to get into how you even went vegan, why you went vegan, and then I want to get into activism. I want to talk about how you film your street interviews, why you feel that this is an effective way to reach people, and 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 hopefully by the end of this episode, those that are listening will be able to either go out on the street and do what they're doing themselves or find other forms of activism where they can get more involved. Because I do feel that we have a a lot of vegans, but we don't have a lot of activists. Absolutely. And I think that we all are so unique in our own ways and finding whatever route or form of activism that suits us is super important. So like for you and me, we like meeting people. We like talking to new folks and having fun. And I, your, your interviews can be really fun and funny too. <laughs> thank so, you. It's yours as well. Thank you. Thank you. And so for me, it was like, I really wanted to get eyeballs on this topic in a way that got the message across, but also made people want to watch it and not necessarily cry the whole time. So, yeah. How did you even get involved in animal rights? What's your story with that? Yeah, it's kind of weird because I never wanted to go vegan or even vegetarian. I didn't really care that much about animals when I was growing up. I kind of thought vegetarians were just stupid. I couldn't understand why someone would not want to eat animals and animal products because, you know, they were my favorite foods. And I just I didn't really understand why someone would try to be moral. So everything kind of started changing for me a few years ago. It was really when 
Game Changers was coming out. Like that was the first time I thought like, oh, maybe there's something to this plant-based diet. Maybe it actually can be healthy. And, you know, seeing all the, the Olympians and athletes and stuff really was persuasive to me. And then I had one vegan friend and I went to visit her and we were talking about veganism. And at one point I said like, oh, you know, I don't really eat that much meat. And I thought it was really weird that I said that because I ate chicken pretty much every day. And that was the first time I realized that I actually like felt guilty about it. Because before I had never really felt guilty because I thought it was just something we had to do. Why wouldn't we do it? So that was kind of the the beginning of the end, you could say. And then when COVID hit, that really kicked it into gear because it was during quarantine. And my vegan friend posted about how, you know, 75% of new diseases come from eating animals. And that just blew my mind. I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? Like we're hearing all about quarantine, stop the spread, but why is no one talking about where these come from in the first place? So that's when I kind of started experimenting more with like flexitarian, you know, vegan before 6 p.m., the kind of stuff that I hate when people do now, but that's definitely what I did. And um, then I came across Earthling Ed's ebook and I like read through it all, the 30 non-vegan excuses and how to respond to them. And that's when I went vegan. The next day I watched Dominion and just seeing what was happening to animals was insane. Like I couldn't believe that was happening. So that's when I started, when I went vegan and I became an activist very quickly. Wow, it's hard to even fathom what happens to animals. And oh my it's God. super cool that during the pandemic you actually allowed your guard to come down and allowed that defense system that a lot of us have when it comes to talking about meat and dairy and eggs you allowed that guard to come down and you did your own research and after doing your own research here you are today speaking up for the animals i remember when i first started researching and getting involved in animal rights i was super triggered one of my friends had mentioned oh why are you pescatarian like you still eat fish, you know, they still feel pain. And meanwhile, she wasn't even vegan <laughs> at the time. So it got me, I got super angry. I was like, they're fish, it's different, blah, blah, blah. And two months later, I was vegan. Nice. And so it's so interesting how everybody has a different reaction. And I do find that when you're out on the street speaking to people, when people have any reaction, it's a good reaction because it means they're thinking and it means that they care. So talk about how you started getting into activism, picking up a camera and going out and filming. That's not always easy. It's easy to say, I want to do these things, but then to actually do it and go through with it and edit it, it takes time. It takes energy. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's easy to just kind of look at someone on YouTube and be like, oh my God, that's, you know, anyone can do that. Right. But then the reality of it is a lot more, a lot more challenging. So for me, I didn't initially want to put stuff on YouTube. It was something that I was resistant to because um, my fiance is a YouTuber and he's a lot bigger and just watching him go through that growth and the kind of mental health challenges that come along with just having thousands of eyes on you, people being really critical of everything. So I didn't really want that, but I did start going out to the streets and talking to people and I just really, really loved it. And it was just, it was really all I wanted to do. Like I basically started going out right after the vaccines came out after quarantine. And I just went to the streets a lot. And then one night I was, uh, I was hanging out with some of my friends, you know, we were just hanging out drinking. And I had been debating with one of my friends for a while and he was sick of it. So he just like sicked me on another one of my friends. And we had like a hour and a half discussion and I was very aggressive and like just very harsh and it was really good though. And then my friend who's a lawyer said like, you know, I think people would want to watch that. Like, I think that people would probably pay you if they could watch that. And I was like, that's interesting, especially coming from him because he's someone who like never gives compliments or anything like that. So then I figured, hey, like I already have the equipment, you know, my fiance is a YouTuber. So he showed me how to edit and now I film with my phone, but we started using his camera and I just got like a little mic and you really don't need much to do this at all. So it's been really great. I highly recommend anyone to put their videos up because you never know who it's gonna connect you with and you never knew, know who you're gonna reach. Right, and it maximizes your reach. So it's oh, yeah. one thing 
you're super passionate about animal rights, getting the message out there. It's one thing to have these conversations and speak with people, but it's another thing to then put it online and have it reach thousands of more people and, and maximize. And so that's really where YouTube came in for me as well, was like, I was going to these AV cubes, which is where we show footage to the public of what happens behind the meat, dairy, and egg industries. And I would stand on the streets and talk to people about it. And I was like, well, I really wanna start recording this, these conversations. Um, and that's how I started putting it up on YouTube. So I came across your videos, because I think I saw some stuff on TikTok, you post it on Instagram, and you also post your clips on YouTube. So being that you were, you said you were using your boyfriend's cam, your fiance's camera, uh, in the beginning now, so you switched to doing it on iPhones, like what equipment works for you and what advice would you give to people that are trying to get into this? Yeah, so definitely kind of the same answer for both, which would be to use what you have. So I had that fancy camera, but he wasn't willing to go out and do this as much as I would like. You know, I like to go out once or twice a week. So I had to figure out a way to film on my own. And I have an iPhone 12. And if you've got one of the newer iPhone models or really any phone these days, has a really good camera. So you've got your camera set, then you just need to buy a mic. And the mic I got was $120, it's a H1N. And I met someone who does this in Canada and she said she got a mic for $10 and she used her dad's old cell phone. So you've got that. And then the only other thing you need is a tripod which are you know, $30 on Amazon. So you could be filming your stuff on the streets for less than $150 and making a huge impact. So don't think that you need all this crazy fancy equipment. Like if you wanna work toward that and get that one day, that's a, a great thing to do. But when you're starting, just start as soon as possible. Don't put things off. I've talked to other YouTubers who said they spent months trying to get the best equipment, saving up money, and it was just a way for them to put off going out onto the streets. So don't fall into that trap. Just use what you have and get out there. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. The hardest part is just pressing record and actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So with the mic, is it something that connects into your iPhone or is it wireless? How does that work? Yeah, it's wireless. Um, it's called the H1N Zoom Handy Recorder. So it's battery powered. So you just, uh, yeah, you just get the sound going and then you sync it to your phone in post-production. And do you use Premiere or Final yeah. Cut? Yeah, yeah, I use Premiere, which I like. I think Final Cut is also great. I've not used it personally, but I know there are a lot of free things you can use as well. So if Premiere's out of your budget, it is kind of expensive. Once again, just start with what you have. Exactly, exactly. And there's different you know, equipment that other people may use, but for the most part, it all does the same thing. You just wanna get the video recorded. You wanna get the message out there. And so much of the magic also happens in editing. So depending on what style you're trying to go for, if it's more fun and jumpy and cutty, you can do that and edit. If it's more long form and just literally filming one conversation, you could do that as well. So that's awesome. So can you talk about some conversations or some people that you come across? What are some of the most common pushbacks that you get? Yeah, so it kind of feels like the most common arguments go through phases, you know? Like I feel like when I first started doing activism, it was all like plants feel pain, you know, that was a big thing. But now more recently, um, have you heard of the show Yellowstone? I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. Sure, so I hadn't watched it either, but there's this clip that's gone totally viral about this cowboy and he's talking to this vegan and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And basically he says that you never think about the, the moles and the squirrels and the rats and the snakes that are killed to till the fields for your salad. So how cute does an animal have to be before you care about it? And then she just doesn't even have a response. So, you know, you and I both know that's called crop deaths though. So it's like, what do you say about all the animals that are killed during crop production for your salad? So that's the most popular anti-vegan argument I've heard lately over the last few weeks. Like I did not hear that at all, probably the first year and a half. And now it's just like, every person I talk to, they're like, oh, what about the crop deaths? Yeah, so, I get a lot of that in the comments and mm -hmm. it really just goes to show how misinformed people are. I mean, I'm curious how you respond to that and then I can also share how what I say, but it's a ridiculous argument. Yeah, it's ridiculous for a few reasons. The, the biggest reason is because it's just totally inaccurate, you know, because you need so many more plants to feed the animals to then eat the animals. So you have to account for I usually say it's around 15 times more crop deaths 
to feed an omnivore diet plus the animals you're intentionally killing. So right there, you know, the numbers are debunked. But then you can also say things, which I think is fun. Uh, I saw someone say that, you know, sometimes there are humans accidentally killed during crop production. Does that mean you're justified to kill humans? And of course, people would say no. So the point you want to eventually make is that just because something happens accidentally, it doesn't justify intentionally violating an animal's rights. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's actually been studies that have come out even more recently where the crop deaths and crop production of the numbers that are that they're stating are actually a lot less. So when you look at mice, for example, they're very quick. And when they hear a large piece of equipment, a really loud sounding tractor coming through the fields, they run. Yeah. They're not just like gonna sit there and, and let it run them over. So it's actually a lot less when it comes to mice and wild birds. And of course there are casualties that happen, but it is a lot less than people think it is. And it's of course, when it comes to a salad or a vegan diet, it's a lot less with a vegan, a whole foods plant-based diet than it is with an omnivore diet where 69 billion animals are being fed from those crops. It's not the mm -hmm. less than 1% of vegans that exist. We are not the problem. Yeah, yeah. It's also ridiculous because non-vegans eat those kind of foods as well. Like vegans aren't the only ones eating it. And then, I mean, the whole thing is kind of a disingenuous, like like what they're actually trying to do is say, you're not perfect. You know, they're trying to throw an ad hominem at you. So it's also good to address that, to say like, you know, veganism isn't about being perfect. No one can be perfect. I wish that I could, you know, if we had farmers that were vegan, they would make sure that there were way fewer crop deaths. They wouldn't be running over mice and killing snakes because they would care about the animals. I'm trying to build a vegan world so that we can develop different types of farming. But while we're slaughtering billions of animals intentionally, we're not gonna get there. So that's why I'm focused on this area. It's an excuse and it comes back mm -hmm. to people trying to compare two separate issues in order to continue justifying their own behavior. And it's a real problem. Somebody said to me yesterday, I'm not going to go vegan and care about animals until people start caring about black people. And I just stood there and looked at her just in shock that she even said that because little does she know that veganism, the animals are actually a small part of veganism. When you actually look at the people that are working in slaughterhouses and the human rights issues behind, behind the animal rights movement, it's all intertwined. And not, not only that, but when it, comes to, um, when it comes to comparing social justice issues in total, that's like saying, I'm not gonna care about the people in North Korea until men stop grabbing women's asses on the train here in New York City. Like, yeah. Why can't you support both issues? It's, yeah, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. There is that idea like humans have to come first. And yeah, you're right. We're never going to solve the human issues without addressing animal agriculture. And yeah, like imagine if we were, f you know, standing up for women's rights and someone came over and said like, oh, well, you know, you should care about black people. It's like, okay, well, we care about black people and we support women's rights. It's just, yeah, it's one of those things like animals are so devalued in our society that it's so hard for people to just kind of imagine what we're even trying to do. So yeah, it's a, it's a really weird contradiction that we live in. So with your fiance being a YouTuber, is he also vegan? How did that <laughs> dynamic come about and work out for you? Yeah, I'm super lucky that when I went vegan, there was about a month where he wasn't vegan. And luckily I do all the cooking pretty much. So it was just him like, you know, if he would get frozen meals and they had animals and he didn't even eat it around me because he knew like, that was right after I'd watched Dominion and really went down the rabbit hole. So I was very fresh and sensitive about it. And then one day I woke up and he said, hey, I watched Dominion last night. I'm done, I'm vegan now. Like that was horrible. So yeah, he's he's not a vegan YouTuber, but he is vegan. Um, so that's that's really beneficial. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they are asking about how to navigate relationships with non-vegans. And I know you have some experience with that, but I, I really just feel, I really feel for them because it's so beneficial to have a vegan partner. Like it makes it so much better. Like he was out of town for a few weeks and I was the only vegan around my friends. And like, it, it kind of wears you down. Like you want to have that social support. It is, it is important to me. It's a huge part of the vegan journey. I mm -hmm. find that having that social circle, that support keeps me going. It keeps me not feeling like I'm crazy yeah. in the vegan world. You know, and um, my boyfriend, it took him about a year 
to go vegan, which was really difficult because it's like something that you're fighting so hard for every single day of your life to then come home to your partner, somebody that you really care about and love supporting the very industries that are causing violence to the animals you're trying to save. It's like, it makes no sense. Yeah, that sounds tough, but it also shows that sometimes people just need time. Yeah, it does. And also it's like, you have to think about what experiences have they had in their lives with animals or, you know, what information have they been taught or told? And that plays a big part in their transition into veganism as well. Mm -hmm. So when you go out and film, do you ever just set up the tripod yourself and not have your fiance there or do you yeah somebody else? Oh, wow. No, no, I pretty much always go out alone because no one else, I don't have anyone else to like go with me when I want to go. I like to go on my own schedule too, you know, like some days I wake up and it's nicer weather than I thought it would be. So I go do outreach. So that's a big part of the reason I can get out there so much is that I don't have to kind of rely on someone else. So yeah, I just have my tripod and, uh, you know, my whatever sign I'm using and my phone and my mic. And then I have someone sit down, I get it all set up. I get the sound going and then we just roll with it. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I need to try that. I've never gone out by myself just because it's like, I tend to use a DSLR camera, which you don't need. But like when it comes to focus and when it comes to like making sure we're in the frame, it's like you kind of do need somebody managing it because sometimes mm -hmm. like if the battery runs out, or the car gets full or whatever it is, like you just need somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes those cameras just like stop for like random reasons. They do. Yeah, it's so weird. So yeah, go out with your phone. Yeah, I should try that. Do you do it where the, the selfie mode is facing you so you can see the frame or do you do it with the back camera? I just set up the phone. Um, so I have them sit and then I frame it basically imagining where I'm gonna be sitting and then I just sit next to them. And that's another thing. I think sitting next to people is powerful because it makes them feel like you're not against them you know you guys are on the same side you're on the same team you're trying to explore the truth of why they feel the way they do why they believe the things they believe so i think sitting next to people is a great way to kind of build rapport and how has veganism impacted your other areas of life before we started recording this episode we talked a little bit about spirituality breath work what things have helped you dealing with living in a non-vegan world and has helped you become a more spiritual in tune person. Yeah, so I've always been fairly spiritual, not in the sense that like, you know, I think spirituality can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. For me, it mainly means disidentifying with like the ego, you know, like that kind of more Zen or Buddhist type. And I've always felt like, you know, it doesn't really like, like the Natalie is like kind of like a character, right? But that's not the truth of who you are. So to me, veganism is kind of separate from that because veganism could be just another identity and sometimes you hear ex-vegans and they say oh like i just didn't want to have the vegan identity anymore so i think it's good to kind of keep that separation intact so for me in terms of you know living in a non-vegan world like it it gets hard especially when you're doing activism especially when you're exposed to footage or going to slaughterhouses and then you talk to someone and it's like they they just talk about how all the farms are happy and you're just like how clueless can you be and it, it does get difficult especially with friends and family you know when they haven't changed when you've been pretty upfront with them after a while so some of the things that help are yeah i do i started doing breath work which for anyone who doesn't know it's kind of like meditation but more focused on breathing and kind of like meditation on steroids so i did meditate for a long time and i found that i just wasn't getting kind of the benefits I wanted to get. But with breath work, I felt the benefits almost immediately. Like it, sometimes you do breath work and like it feels like you're on drugs. Like it's crazy, like your whole body tingles and you feel very calm and peaceful and you can do it anytime. You know, you can just get a breath work app and then just go for it. And it, it really helps a lot. So that's a great way to do self-care. Exercise, super important, eating healthy just kind of keeping hobbies. And I know it's very tempting when you go vegan to like only surround yourself with vegans, but I find that having non-vegan friends is good too, because we don't want to fall into misanthropy. We don't want to think that all meat eaters are terrible people because that's not true. You know, we were meat eaters as well. So it's good to kind of maintain that connection with them to remind yourself that even though they're participating in this 
horrific atrocity, that that doesn't mean that they're horrible people. Absolutely. I think I want to talk about that because I do think that that's a really important topic. And being that I definitely have had a hard time sitting down at non-vegan tables and you kind of fall into this bubble where you think that we're further ahead in the animal mm -hmm. rights movement than we actually are because all of your close friends are vegan. And I've noticed that a lot of people that are around me have actually transitioned to a plant-based lifestyle. So that's good and helpful. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, but at the same time, of course, like, you know, maintaining the, the mindset of actually looking at things as face value and being like, okay, we still have a lot of work to do. So talk of, do, do some of your non-vegan friends pick at you? How do you handle some of those situations? I mean, you break down things super logically and it's almost like, even with your YouTube videos, I love how you approach people and how you speak to people because you can't really argue with what you're saying. You've done <laughs> your research and you really do know the facts. Like you really do know how to handle the, all of these arguments. So what are some interactions that you have with your non-vegan friends? And to, to kind of also summarize like, they are not bad people. It's the fact that good people tend to do bad things. So what are those interactions like? Yeah, so I feel like they don't happen as much now as when I first went vegan. Like when I first went vegan, you know, people did kind of talk to me about it and then they quickly realized how easily I could destroy all their arguments and they tended to just like not bring it up. Cause you're right, like I do know what they're going to say before they even say it generally, because the reason for that is because people use the same 15 to 30 excuses. So it's not like I have some superpower. It's just that their arguments are so bad. And if you watch, you know, a few hours of street outreach on YouTube, I've watched much more than that. You're going to know all these arguments. So it's really not that difficult. And then sometimes like I was at a party a month ago and someone brought up veganism and one of my friends, I kind of like was like, oh, like, what do you think about it? And he was like, oh God, I don't want to do this. Like, you're you're too good at this. Like, I just don't want to talk about it. And I was like, all right, like that's, that's fair. So I think that it's at the point where they're just kind of afraid to bring it up. Like they know that there's no reason to. Um, I think they're afraid of going vegan, you know? Oh my God, I experienced the same thing. It's It was in the beginning, it was the hardest because that's when people would really pick at me before I really like started looking into how to respond to people and I always felt really uncomfortable and I would almost not tell people I was vegan because I mm -hmm. didn't want to get into these conversations. And then it went through a period where it was like every table I sat down, the, the, the eyes were on me, the questions were on me about protein and B12 and then I was starting to slowly but surely be able to respond very effectively to that, to the point where now nobody really <laughs> yeah. approaches me about it because they know they'll be shut down so fast and quite mm -hmm. frankly look like an idiot. Yeah, to like, yeah. Not to be mean, but like, yeah, it's the, the veganism is so logical and we are vegan because we've done our research and, and we know the facts. So it's like people don't even want to get into the back and forth because they know they'll be shut down. Yeah, so. they know they're going to lose. No one wants to lose. And yeah, I love uh, what you said about like how you didn't necessarily know the arguments and then you learned them. And I think that's so important for every vegan to just be familiar with what people are going to say, because the frustration that you feel in these situations that generally comes from not knowing what to say. So if you just know, you know, read that Earthling Ed ebook takes an hour and a half to read and you'll be set. You'll know how to respond and people will just, you know, they'll they'll see that and they'll know that you're not someone they can pick on. And I think that's really important, too. That's really, really good advice. I love that ebook. It really, really breaks down each argument and each topic in a logical well thought out way and i read through it and that really is where when i started to become an activist myself so being that we deal with like the same 15 excuses every day how do you come up with new video ideas and how do you keep your content on youtube fresh <laughs> yeah it's funny you ask because i feel like it hasn't been as fresh lately like i'm kind of transitioning now i've basically posted street outreach videos for you know, the last year and a half. And right now I'm starting to mix it up. So I'm doing reaction videos and different types of vegan content in addition to street outreach videos. But I find a good way to mix it up is to just start the conversation differently. You know, there's so many ways to start conversations with non-vegans. I really liked that sign you had, eating animals is weird. Like I may steal that and go out, use that one day. Do it. Do Did it. it work well? Like a lot of people came up and talked to you? 
It did. I thought like the, the thing is with that is it definitely drew in the eyeballs, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, where do you then start with that? Like it's not specific enough where mm. it's like, okay, we can start with talking about protein or we can start with talking about how the dairy industry is messed up, you know? Yeah. It was like more broad in general. So I kind of had to guide the conversation and then in edit, it's like, then you have to really form the story in edit because the conversations were so all over the place. Yeah, that, you know, it was like one of those things where if I'm going to make something now effective out of this in my video, I have to like now edit this for like a month. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but it was a good sign. And I definitely had people that were like, no, I don't think it's weird. We've been eating animals for thousands of, of years. And I'm like, well, we've also been treating women poorly for thousands of years. Yeah. And today we think that's weird. So what's your point? <laughs> and of course i'm sure they had no good response but they probably just like walked away right <laughs> oh god yeah well one guy got really mad at me he's like he's like he was bringing up people in other countries and food deserts and this and that and like, oh well, yeah, yeah that's yeah. why i'm right here in the west village in new york city talking to you mr pierce morgan <laughs> watch and your wool sweater and your designer dog like who are you to be talking about people in food deserts in other countries first of all yeah you're talking to you who can make a choice to not cause suffering and harm animals i know it's so frustrating like and it's all people are always like what about the indigenous people it's like okay well their land is being taken for cattle farming and like ranching like two indigenous people were murdered this past weekend because uh they were trying to stop farmers and the farmers murdered them so really if you want to protect indigenous people you should be vegan so yeah people tr they will latch onto any excuse in the world to just not make this simple change so yeah it, it is tough um but yeah as far as starting conversations i think one of the best things i've found through doing outreach is to start with a quote that most people would agree with and don't let the people know beforehand that you're talking about veganism. Just say, oh, we're gonna have a thought provoking conversation. It may challenge your views. Are you prepared to be challenged? And they'll be like, yeah, I love to be challenged. And then you hit them with um, that quote from Spider-Man is really good. With great power comes great responsibility. Everyone agrees that we should use power wisely. And then you say to transition into veganism, you say, one of the ways in the world where I think uh, people don't talk about this is the way that humans as a species have used power over other species. What do you think about that? And then you can start and it's just a really good way to frame it as, you know, these animals are innocent and vulnerable and we're just, you know, murdering them because we can. And I think that is a great way to start conversations. Absolutely. And I think also taking what they then say about agreeing yes. with the quote and whatever their views are to then be like, well, you actually do agree with the ide ideologies behind veganism. You just said that you don't think we should take, you know, power and harm more vulnerable beings. You just said that. So how, how do you then align <laughs> your beliefs with your actions? Well, you don't. And so yeah. that's why today, after our conversation, you better be going vegan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point is whatever they say, you can just use that against them. And it's funny when they realize what you're doing and they kind of like get this face like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And you're just like, it's so satisfying. Oh, I love it. Pure <laughs> manipulation and, and, and evil, but used in the best way. <laughs> yeah, people are always like, vegans are manipulative. It's like not when you can't compare us to the meat industry like they're oh. literally lying through their teeth about everything like we're just trying to use the morals you already have and make you see that they can be applied to animals to me it doesn't seem manipulative no not at all you're just unlearning these deep societal conditioning responses yeah. and things that you've been taught your whole life that are just meat industry propaganda so yeah. i joke and i say i will push my vegan agenda but really it's not i don't gain anything from you going vegan you know so it's like i don't have money to be made i'm yeah. really just like telling you leave animals alone so. yeah i just want them to not be tortured <laughs> like that's yeah. it that's all yeah yeah you would think we're asking for like five thousand dollars <laughs> yeah oh, right people react <laughs> Um, <laughs> I would bet most people would rather give me $5,000 than go vegan. And that's like so depressing. <laughs> that's so true, dude. That's so true. So I want to also talk a little bit about 
branding. And so you are now in the point where you are almost at the 3K subscriber mark on YouTube. That's huge. You are growing every single oh, thank day. You. You're posting consistently. What are some tips and strategies that you have for people about growing your YouTube and also like with your branding? I know you made a video on this on why you changed from the juggling vegan to Natalie Fulton, but talk about that and why you decided to do that. Yeah, definitely. So when I started my YouTube channel, I like I wasn't really ready to have my personal identity be kind of my YouTube identity. You know, it was sort of more an experiment. I wasn't sure if I was going to keep doing it. And then as far as growing a channel, it can, it can be really hard. You know, it's one of those things that takes a lot of patience. And yeah, like I'm at 3000 subs, but that doesn't seem like that much to me, you know, like I, I there's always that part of you that just wants to be growing a lot faster because when you're way bigger then more people see you and you can influence people and that's like really what we're trying to do at the end of the day but in terms of growing youtube i think as with everything in life whether it's going to the gym whether it's eating healthy you're just having good habits it's all about consistency like you have to be consistent typically on youtube you want to be posting at least once or twice or once a week or twice a month once every two weeks and throw in some shorts as well so it is a big time commitment and there's gonna be months and months where nothing happens you know you're not gonna have any subscribers or you have subscribers but you're not growing and i think youtube is almost a test of like are you willing to keep going and to push through that and keep being consistent and at the end of the day that's just that's what you have to do so yeah part of the reason i changed my name was because I just wasn't posting as many juggling videos as like I should be for the juggling vegan. Like I would post a few juggling videos, but especially during the winter, it's too cold to juggle outside and I just didn't want to do it. So I was, I finally feel like I can be just Natalie Fulton and going for a more professional vibe, hoping to speak more in universities and schools and things like that. So it's just kind of, you know, I would love to have like a name that I thought of that was a little better. But if you can't think of a good name, just use what you were born with. <laughs> I think Natalie Fulton is great. And as you start to expand and grow your brand, it's something that I think really can reach even far more people. Because sometimes even having the name word vegan. Yes, yes. People away. So yeah. that's super interesting too. But it's one of those things where when you just get started, it's like pressing that re record button that you then start to figure it out and grow. So like mm -hmm. for, me, for example, I started my podcast when I was in college and at first it was called Under the Vegfluence. And oh, the wow. Like, yeah, the idea that I had behind <laughs> this was, so one of my professors was like, you guys have to build a website and do a podcast. And when I was in college, all of my projects were about animal rights. And so I always tried to relate it. And so when I, thought, oh, under the vegetables would be a fun topic. I'll just like record my episodes right before I get drunk and go out with my <laughs> I'll be like sort of tipsy talking. Oh, about nice, this. nice. It'll be fun and whatever. So I did that for a couple months and I got an A on the project. It did pretty well. But then as I started to then grow out of that, I changed it to drop the knife. And the idea mm. that I had behind that was I was really like a very serious activist. I was going to slaughterhouses all the time. And the idea that I have with that is it's like, this animal is so innocent, just drop the knife, like mm. leave them alone, you know? That's, I like that. Thank you. We are responsible for their burner and for their death when we eat these products. We are holding the knives. Even though we mm. have other people kill them for us, we are responsible. So then in my, my cover photo, it was like um, me holding a knife and it was, you could see the reflection of the animal in the knife. And as I started to continue growing that, I was like, this is turning away non-vegans. It mm. just was. And I, I felt like I wasn't able to reach more people than I wanted to. And so that's when Jamie's Corner came about. And I started doing the street interviews and then changing the podcast over to that as well. Cool. So you, you, your brand changes as you, you grow. Yeah, definitely. And there's almost this like fear, like I was like afraid of changing my name, but you know, it really doesn't, like no one really cares except for you. Like you, you just change it and you're good. But yeah, that's the other thing is I wanted to take vegan out of the name because you're right, it does turn people away. And especially some of my videos, I don't even want them to necessarily know that what we're talking about is veganism uh, until maybe the end. So yeah and like if people were sitting down to interview they're like what's your youtube channel name and i can't i couldn't say it's the juggling vegan because i didn't want them to know i was vegan so now i can just say oh it's natalie fulton i'm really excited to see where 
your channel goes, what you end up doing. I want to see more public speaking things. I mean, especially in New Orleans. Yeah. What's the scene like out there? I know they have a few vegan restaurants, but it's still a long way from New York City, for example. Oh my God. In New York City, like I was up there this summer. Amazing. I think I gained like five pounds. It was just oh, yeah. so much food. It was amazing. Easily. But yeah, New Orleans, like the vegan food is pretty good. Like we're just a food city, you know, people come here to eat. So there are a few really good vegan restaurants. There's like half vegan places. A lot of restaurants close down here because, you know, we'll have hurricanes or floods and there's just high restaurant turnover in New Orleans. I think that's true in a lot of places, but especially here. In terms of activism, it's it's pretty disappointing here. I really don't know any other activists. Maybe I know a couple, but they're not like willing to come out with me or they'll say they're going to come out and then don't. So it's definitely not like New York. Like you guys are always having protests and doing all this stuff. So yeah, I'm definitely jealous of that. I wish there was more of an activism community here. And that's another reason I started my channel is I thought, hey, if people see what I'm doing, maybe they'll want to get more active in New Orleans. That hasn't been the case. I've really kind of reached people further away, but people in other places say, you know, you've inspired me to get active. So that's great. It just, it would be nice to have people to kind of go out with. We're so lucky to be in an age, a digital age where we can connect with people. But yeah, that's disappointing that there's not more people going out in New Orleans because they freaking need it. Um, oh yeah. Just, oh, just yeah. as much as anywhere else, but especially the crawfish, the seafood yeah. stuff. It's disgusting, but- I know, anybody, <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> if anybody is listening that's in New Orleans, hit Natalie up and maybe you guys yes. go out together because activism really is holding a sign outside of a, a meat aisle. It's going, you know, and disrupting a uh, vigil or uh, going to a slaughterhouse vigil. It's it's doing something like it can yeah. be anything. It could even be wearing a shirt down the street that that's, you know, says a message for the animals. So people should really yeah. get, to get together. It's, somebody's got to start that up. That reminds me of one of the things that we wanted to talk about was how to do activism for you, for anyone listening, because if you say like, yeah, there are a lot of vegans, but most of them aren't active. Like part of me almost feels like, and I know this is gonna be a hot take, part of me feels like it's worse to be a vegan who's not active than to be a meat eater because the meat eaters don't know how bad the situation is. They don't know what's going on. They're like basically blind to it. Whereas the vegans know. So if you have this knowledge and you're not actively trying to get people to stop torturing animals, like you're limiting yourself and you should really try. And I know for you and me, that looks like street outreach, but there's so many things people can do, so many different types of activism. If you're an introvert, like a lot of people don't wanna to talk to people, that's perfect. Do behind the scenes stuff. You could learn to edit videos. You could just make posts on Instagram and not even show your face. You can work with the Humane League, Mercy for Animals. Um, you know, and Factory Farming Coalition. There's so many organizations you can join. So don't put yourself into this box and think like, oh, this is what people are doing on YouTube. That's what activism looks like. It's really not. The Some of the most effective activism, I think, takes place behind the scenes and at legislative levels. Mm -hmm. So try to get in there if you can. So true. Thank you for saying that. And I think also volunteering, fostering. Mm -hmm animals, rescuing animals where you can, I mean, look at the hunt sabs, there's people that risk their entire lives and freedom to open up these cages and to rescue animals and, and make fox farms. And so uh, we all have a role to play. And so it's yeah. time we step up and I'll tell you one thing, as you know, it's not so easy going outside and talking to people, you know, sometimes it is nerve wracking and also just to go out, whether it's the hot weather or the freezing cold, mm -hmm. it's like we do it because we care and because we, we want to get this message out there for the animals. Yeah, and we're also lucky that we live in cities where we can do this. You know, if people are in rural areas, like there aren't just people on the street that you can right. go talk to. And then I think another mistake a lot of vegans make when they're trying to get more active is that they only try talking to their friends and family. And that's really the hardest thing you can do. Friends and family are so much harder to talk to than strangers or even than doing other online activism events. So if the only thing you do right now is talk to friends and family, I would say stop doing that and kind of focus your energy elsewhere because you're just gonna get frustrated, you may damage your relationships, and it's really just not the most effective use of your time. Totally, you get burned out. I mean, mm. that was 
when I was going to slaughterhouses every week, I would come home and see the animal body parts in my fridge and I threw them out in my family. And it was only the last few years of me living there because I was in college and then I would move out as soon as I finished school. So it just was not really as productive as I would have liked it to be because I do find that strangers actually you have more credibility with. Yeah, yeah. They don't know how ridiculous you are in other areas of your yeah, life. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that, that's a really, really good point. So I guess as we begin to wind things down, I do want to get into your, your routines. You mentioned mm. breath work, but also talk a little bit about what you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and different advice and tips, skincare that you have for vegans, non-vegans alike. Yeah, I love that. I'm someone who very much like I kind of hate routines, but I recognize that like I really need routines. Otherwise, I just basically can't function. So I used to have this kind of insane morning routine where I would try to wake up early and like stretch and meditate and do all this stuff. And I found that it wasn't working as well for me because I'm very much not a morning person. So I like to sleep as late as possible and then get up. And then I start my day with um, if it's summer months, I'll do iced coffee. I don't like hot coffee, so in the winter I just don't drink coffee. Um, so I'll just like take half a caffeine pill, walk my dog, try to get out in the sun a little bit if the weather's nice. And then I'll work for a few hours till I get really sick of working. And then I go to the gym and that's a great way to just kind of get out of the house. Sometimes I just go to the gym and I just like stay there for 15 minutes. I'll like maybe stretch if I'm just really not feeling working out. Even just going is a huge it makes a huge difference in your day. Then I come home, maybe I'll work more. Um, at the end of my workday, I try to do breath work to for, to signal that you're done working, right? Especially if you're someone who works from, from home, it's hard to have that separation. So that kind of helps you release any neg negativity that you experience during work and lets you know that it's time to relax. And... Do you work uh, on your content or is this you work for another company? Like how do you manage both your YouTube and work? Yeah, well, I do have a part-time job at like a half vegan restaurant, so it's very different from content. So this would just be, you know, editing, doing all my content, which is pretty, it's not quite full-time, but it, it takes a long time. So that's all from home. Yeah, it does. yeah. I feel like also that's another sacrifice you have to make if you do want to become a full-time YouTuber um, is basically you need a job that allows you to do that. Like I'm yeah. working full-time at a film company, I just didn't have time to then come home and edit my own stuff. So yeah. it wasn't until I started doing that less and started getting a part-time job hosting at this jazz club downtown, which is what I'm doing now. Now I have cool. days to work at my own stuff and keep growing that. Yeah, working full-time to part-time is so valuable. Like if I, I couldn't do anything when I had a full-time job, like even just going to the gym, it was like, it's too much. Like, I, I don't know how people do it. So yeah, do whatever you can to save up enough money or get a job that pays really well in a short amount of time if you wanna be a content creator, because you know it's gonna take three years really before you could support yourself fully just from content creation, unless you're just like insanely good. So you wanna have something set up to where you don't have to like worry about money. So working part-time is great, especially in something totally different because then you're not always on your computer. And that was part of the problem is I'm like editing all day for someone else. I was working on animal rights content, which was great, but then it's like to then come home and do the same thing. And like, I can't, no, I can't yeah. stare on the screen any longer. So yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing this. Um, so being that you like to go to the gym, you mentioned eating healthy. What yeah. are your, your favorite Oh yeah, meals? yeah. So my favorite meals, I do like going to the gym, but I'm also like very lazy, especially when it comes to like cooking. Um, so for lunch, I'll just do like, I literally eat tofu plain a lot of the time. And I know a lot of people think that's gross, but I don't really mind it. I liked those I like those bagged salads, you know, so I'll just put some tofu and a bag salad. That's a good lunch. Sandwiches, chickpea sandwiches. For dinner, I think my main thing would be like, you know those uh, jars where you can get Indian curry sauces or like Thai sauces? I'll get that, some veggies over rice, pasta, Beyond Burgers, um, just something that's like pretty, pretty simple and tasty is what I Easy tend to enough. go for. Yeah, yeah, that literally sounds exactly like what I do. Yeah, nice. it changes day to day, but for the yeah. most part, it does. Frozen time. veggies are great yeah. to have on hand, super easy. 
Uh, smoothies, especially like I pretty much have a smoothie every day. You can get a ton of fruit in there, flaxseed, creatine, protein powder. Like if you have a smoothie, you can get so much in there, spinach, kale. So try to have a smoothie if you can. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a great. And a, a big part of veganism is not even just diet. It's what you're wearing, what you're putting on your skin, what you're mm-hmm. shampooing and conditioning your hair with. So what are some of your favorite uh, cosmetic products? Yeah. And I think this is cool because like when I went vegan, I was afraid that I'd have to change everything like my shampoo and all that. But I found that most things now are cruelty free. Like they're not tested on animals. Canada banned testing on animals this past week. I think maybe some other states have banned it. So it's really a lot easier than you would think. So I use this like, oh, New New York York did. Oh, that's amazing. Man, it's because y'all got so many activists there. That's it's awesome. It's complicated, though, when it comes to the testing in China. So right. they're actually not allowed to do the testing in New York, but they can still sell the products that are tested on animals in stores. So it's a simple, just look on the back of the label, make sure that it has the leaping bunny, the pedo, you know, the cruelty-free and vegan text on it. It's yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, one of my friends told me about the China thing. Like, if you really want to be safe, make sure that the company doesn't sell anything in China because that means they are doing animal testing there because they have to. But yeah, my favorite, the shampoo I use is like super bougie. It's called Pureology, but I love it. When you put the conditioner in your hair, it like, it like feels like a mint on your head or something. It's like, it's really cool. So I like that. And in terms of makeup, I just, you know, go to Amazon and type in whatever vegan makeup and go from there, but I'm not like super specific about skincare or anything. I used to have like terrible acne and then I went on Accutane and that really cleared things up for me. So I know a lot of people struggle with acne and Accutane's kind of scary, but it was definitely worth it for me. I've heard that a lot of people have had success with that and you have gorgeous skin. <laughs> Thank you. Never <laughs> even know, oh my gosh. And I, as you were saying, you're like, oh, I don't really do much of my skin. I'm thinking, oh, another one of <laughs> Just uses water. Okay. Uh, do, do you have to do a lot to your skin? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where if I don't wash my face or take my makeup off, it's like I will break out. And yeah. I suffer more from texture as opposed to like big pimples. I would say my forehead is more so the problem area. But what I have found is a salicylic acid mm-hmm. is a really good. Um, exfoliator for your for your forehead or for areas it actually has helped a lot so once i incorporated that into my routine like i my skin is doing a lot better and also i find that double cleansing like first with an oil cleanser and then with your actual like cleanser whatever it is i'm using like a benzoyl peroxide like actual cleanser daily cleanser and um the oil cleanser has helped because it at first is taking off that sunscreen. If you wear makeup, it's taking that off and then you're actually washing your face. Before, I wasn't getting everything off. So mm. I had like more clogged pores. So it's just called oil cleanser or is it like a type of oil you use? It's an oil cleanser. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I got it from Amazon. Uh, if you just type in vegan oil cleanser, it's it foams, it, 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 it's oil-based but then it just washes right off with water. Some people use, I guess, oil to take off their makeup, but then I find it leaves behind the residue. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't love that. Yeah. Interesting, I may try that, because yeah, sometimes I feel like the makeup doesn't quite get off and it's, Uh, that's never good. No, and then it's like you end up washing your face two times and your skin is so dry. Yeah, yeah, especially in the winter, like, oh my God. I love this Analu, it's like a purple, bottle of moisturizer it's on a little it's an anti-aging thing i'm 24 mm. i don't necessarily need an anti-aging <laughs> thing but it is super moisturizing which i love nice well they say you know the younger you start the better with that kind of stuff perfect i'll look like i'm 20 the rest of my life. Like, I'll <laughs> yeah take it. i'll take it if i can reach more people on the street with a nice yes <laughs> it's because i'm vegan yeah exactly. definitely <laughs> little do they know i i mean it has helped a lot yeah yeah vegans do look younger from my yes. anecdotal experience yes from everything from your skin your digestion your weight it just balances everything out it's how we're meant to eat it's how we're meant yeah. to eat I think. Um, so I guess 
Where do you see Natalie Fulton and your brand going these next 5, 10, 15 years? Wow. What's your ultimate goal? Oof. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things, like, I feel like you're always, like, I'm always just kind of looking to different people for inspiration, right? So there's like Earthling Ed, like if I could be like a quarter as effective as Earthling Ed, I would be very, very happy with that. So continuing to work on my speaking skills and talking to more people, posting more content, things like that. I think that's where I would like to see myself going. I also really am attracted to the idea. um, This is kind of, it may seem out of left field, but there's this program in Texas called the Rancher Advocacy Program, and they help transition farmers into plant-based farming. And what I would really like to see is, you know, chicken farming is so big, especially in the South around where I am. And the chicken farmers are, you know, they're, they hate their lives. They're taken over by the corporations. They don't have any autonomy. They're basically like indentured servants. So I want to transition them ideally to mushroom farming. So I've started just doing the grow kits with mushrooms. I want to get more into mushroom-based agriculture. So I think the goal would be trying to like help farmers build the vegan community in the Southern United States, because there's not much of that here and just continue to speak and and educate. Brilliant, I love that. Of course, I know the Rancher Advocacy Program. For those listening that don't know what that is, look it up, Renee King Solomon, she's behind it. She owns Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. She's an incredible activist, super hardcore, and it is so important. They've seen so much success. You have these farmers that every single day have to walk into these stinky, uh, pneumonia-ridden chicken sheds. They have to cull birds that are sick and disease, which basically means they beat them with baseball bats or, or clubs, and then they take out their bodies. And then the ones that do make it to slaughter weight then are sent to the slaughterhouse. It's like, who wants to do that? Every yeah, it's like, no, it's disgusting. Be- it's much more pleasant to just grow mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, you just go in there, you spray them, you cut them, like no one has to die. And right. yeah, and then the other thing about chicken farmers is they're not making any money. Like they owe the companies, the the big, that's the other thing that drives me crazy is when people are always talking about local small farmers. It's like, those don't exist anymore. Maybe there's like very, very few of them, but the big meat industry has taken over and over 99% of meat is factory farm. When we're looking at chickens, it's 99.999%. Like this just doesn't exist. So no one's winning except for the corporations. And we all know that we don't want them to win. Right, it's like vegans are not the big, bad, evil monster that's trying to come in and put people out of jobs and, <laughs> and control everybody. Like no, it's yeah. actually speaking up for these people. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love to see more of that, more vegans joining with smaller farmers to end factory farming. Like, I know we disagree with small farmers about animal ethics, but if they want factory farming to end, and so do we, let's focus on that. And then once we do that, we can address those differences. I think that would be great. And there's, you know, there's things that are looking promising, but it, it's a pretty big fight as well. I completely agree. And so also being that we are women in this movement, Mm. you kind of do see that a lot of the animal rights movement online is run by men. And we love Earthling Ed, we love Billy Armstrong, (laughs) James Aspie, whoever. But I do want to see more women, you know, getting more views on YouTube and talking to people and, and because we make up a majority of the movement. Yeah, like 80% of the movement. It's like a ridiculous majority. Exactly. Yeah. I want to see, you know, both of us, we got to be posting. And if you're listening, if you're a man or a woman, whatever, let's get posting. We have a lot of work to do. Yes. So where can people reach you? Where can they find you if they want to, if they have questions? Yeah, totally. So I'm happy to answer any questions, especially if you want to learn how to do street outreach. I do private coaching. So DM me on Instagram if you want to do that. As far as where to watch my videos, you can see them on YouTube. Uh, Just type in Natalie Fulton and I'll come up. And yeah, just check it out. See if you like anything. See if you like my style. I'm definitely more of like the less aggressive type uh, because that's just more true to my personality. I feel like it's more sustainable, although I love the aggressive types as well. And yeah, if you want to yeah, if you want advice, like I'm always happy to give people advice. So feel free to message me and I will get back to you. Yes, and you can find the aggressive type over here. At <laughs> you do it in like such a funny way, though. You know, it's not like scary aggressive. It's like a funny, aggressive, assertive, maybe. But yeah, it's great. I'm, and secretly, I'm seething through my teeth. <laughs> I try. I try my best. And also, yeah. one more thing I wanted to ask you was, what was that breathwork app called? That you yeah. Used? So I use, it's called Othership. It's 
fairly expensive, but they have a scholarship where you can get it for free if you email them. It's great because they give you basically two you can do every day. It's called there's an up and a down. So if you want more energy, you do the up. If you want to go to sleep, do the down. And they also do an all around, which is dealing with more like emotional issues because we all have so many emotions that aren't processed and are coming out in unconscious ways. So breathwork allows you to go into those emotions and work through some of that stuff. And it's just, it's super powerful. So I recommend it to everyone, even though it's, it's kind of like exercise, like it's hard to do and you have to make time for it and stick with it, but the, the results are there. Yes, and being activists, we need it that much more. Oh yeah. Be here in the long run for the animals, for our planet, for our, our health. We want to be here and you have to take care of yourself. You yes. You have, have, have to take care of yourself. So without further ado, thank you everyone for listening. Natalie, thank you so much for your time, for coming on and chatting with me. Yeah, thank Bye. you so much. It's been super fun. <laughs> All right, guys. Peace out. Bye.